Hello, and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about my journey through cinema. I am your host, Patrick, and you can follow along with my movie watching on Letterboxd. I'm on there as Long Monkey. And you can check out my weird fiction and other projects at proleary.com. Today, I have a very special guest, my good friend, Matt. Matt, how are you doing? Hey, what's up? <laughs> it's it's <laughs> quite an intro, Matt. <laughs> super, super stoked to be here, Patrick. Super stoked to be here. I didn't know if you're going by Long Monkey or Patrick. I just, I froze in my head for a second, but oh, that's fine. Yeah. You can call me Patrick because you're a good friend of mine. All right. You know, Matt, I have to tell you that uh, I'm. This conversation may get a little spicy because I just had some mamoons before we started oh, recording. Dude, mamoons <laughs> is the best. Look, it's the best. It's the best four dollars and fifty cents you can buy on a falafel sandwich to go. <laughs> yes, yeah. For those that don't know, it's a it's a it's a fast food falafel place in Princeton, New Jersey, that has the spiciest hot sauce ever, and it is great. Yeah, I think uh, I think the people in New York might might say that it's a New York place, but uh, uh, okay. since we live near Princeton, I guess we'll come in some place as well. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, your 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 location. That's, oh yeah, <laughs> that's okay. I mean, if there were movie theaters around, and I was actually going to movie theaters, I would love to catch a movie with some of someone from that listens to the podcast, but. Unfortunately, uh, I'm not going to movie theaters for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we put all my moons on. Uh, we actually just had the sauce um, from some leftover leftover sauce from a previous meal, and we threw it in some uh, rice and stir fry. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, it was good. But enough. Right, about yeah, this is not food. a this is not a food podcast, right? This is a a cinema a cinema podcast. So yes, it is. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just so uh, everyone knows, we're going to talk about some movies we watched recently. Then we're going to go into our main topic, which is a little dive into a segment of cinema. This time, Matt was able to pick the topic, and I'm very excited to talk about it. It's a good one, but we'll get to that first. We're going to talk about some movies we watched recently. Matt, I'm going to regale you with some interesting ones. Let's jump right in. All right. First movie I watched is Impulse from 1974, directed by William Greffy. Impulse is it's about a uh, this kind of con man gigolo who seduces lonely old women and steals their savings, etc. But uh, he also murders them when things go wrong. And what's interesting about the movie is is it stars William Shatner. Um, and Shatner is doing his best to overact so hard in this movie that the movie just gets better the more he acts and uh luckily he acts a lot in this one i don't know if you're a fan of shatner are you me uh you know i mostly know him from uh what is those insurance commercials no but uh (laughs) uh, no i guess i guess what do you star trek and i'm not really a star trek guy in general so okay you know i don't i don't really know him so yeah i mean if you didn't watch him in star trek then you'll you'll find him in a lot of weird like 70s 80s movies like impulse so if you're a fan of his i recommend impulse it's weird it's kooky it has a lot of over-the-top acting uh after impulse I watched new movie, 2021. It's a sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time. This is Coming to America, the number two 
Coming to America, <laughs> directed by Craig <laughs> Brewer. Um, Coming to America, the original, I love it. It's one of my favorites. Oh, well, that was actually, that was one of my movies I was going to say I was going to talk about. Oh, Coming awesome. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You jump in and talk about the original. Yeah, well, I don't, I didn't want to cut you, I didn't want to cut you off of your, yeah, yeah. your, yeah, no, it's just, you know, uh, I was going to watch Coming to America with the two, but I said, you know, I'm going to go back and watch the original first. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a great movie. It's, you know, it's a classic for, it's a classic for a reason. Arsenio <laughs> Hall, you know, every, everything oh, that God. he's in is, is amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I can't stop. I can't not hear uh, Darth Vader when James Earl Jones talks, but, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a great movie. Uh, I don't know if, whether to go into the plot or not. Or I think most people know enough about the plot of coming to America. Yeah. But you can, should, I, uh, can I introduce myself as a as a film bro? Because I I'm, you're gonna hear that you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna I know that's a thing. And it's like my movie's like all right, yeah, like every film poster that's on every uh, every dorm right, room right. wall. So you're gonna talk about Scarface and Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, Scarface <laughs> is coming up. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and so is. Uh, uh, the, uh, the fraternity movie. What is it? Uh, oh, Animal House. <laughs> Animal House, yeah. <laughs> From the director of Coming to America. <laughs> yes, uh, Landis, John, John Landis. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I didn't know he did Coming to America as well. He, my God, dude, if you went through the movies that he did, it's ridiculous. It is, oh, yeah. it's, dude, he's like, he's like the director of my childhood. <laughs> that is true i mean yeah, animal house coming to america trading places is uh that that like trilogy from the 80s is just great yeah um so uh yeah coming to america is great coming to america is awful the second one i um, knew it yeah knew it i could not uh get into this at all it takes a beloved some beloved characters and doesn't give them anything interesting to do uh besides like modern dumb comedy and it's really full of references to the original, but in like a hokey hacky sort of way where it's like, they're really forcing it. They're forcing the nostalgia. Um, You know, everyone's back and doing their thing, but it just doesn't have the magic. It doesn't have any good writing. And unfortunately it just really fell flat for me. Ooh, did it feel like did it feel like people needed another paycheck? Is that what is it? Is that what yeah, it felt like? I don't know because how like how much money did does Eddie Murphy really need? You know, <laughs> yeah, Eddie Murphy. But, you know, I don't know. Is uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Sometimes, I guess some of the other people were like, "Yeah, I'll I'll do it." I haven't been I'll in another movie since. Like, yeah, so like the uh, whoever, yeah, whoever yeah, yeah. Whoever played the uh, whoever played the uh, I don't know who played the girlfriend or the like. The queen, mm. the queen. Right. That's uh, um, Sherry Headley. Ooh, man, did you look that up? Because that's yeah. that, was, that was crazy. I was gonna say that's a crazy, <laughs> that's crazy recall. If you know, I, I got I got my letterbox <laughs> open constantly for this podcast. <laughs> oh my god, I was gonna say that's so good. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I mean, they're 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 game, but the the new faces are not that exciting. So yeah. Don't I would say pass it up, Matt. Don't. Oh yeah, but it's free on Prime. That's where I was. That's, yeah, I that's the whole. I don't know. I don't know how many people are like, oh, it's on Prime. I have to watch it because I've watched a lot of really bad stuff based on it just yep. being on Netflix or something. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to move on to the next one because that's also a Prime exclusive movie. Oh right. And this is 7500 from 2019. 
directed by Patrick Volrath. 7500 is the story of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, a pilot on a plane that gets hijacked. And it's a really cool like chamber piece where he's in the cockpit dealing with these tense events for like the whole movie. Uh, it's like really good fly on the wall directing where, you know, it kind of the first act you're just getting uh, shots of the airport and the people and kind of seeing things develop in the background. And it's very procedural, almost like a police procedural. Then the hijacking starts and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is under a lot of pressure for most of the movie dealing with the events that are happening. The ending kind of falls apart. I think it goes on too long and turns the screw one too many times. But overall, it's a good one. If you like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, you know, suspenseful movies, it's a, it's a winner. I think that uh, my only problem is sometimes when they make movies about hijackers, they just take, like, the obvious stereotypes uh, for the bad guys. And I hate that, really. It's starting to get old. Hmm. But... Um, you know, you take that with a grain of salt and uh, check it out. So, uh, Matt, you want to jump in with something you watched recently? Yeah. Sorry about that. I was looking something up. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so we'll stay with uh, movies that probably everyone has seen, but they're, <laughs> but they're great uh, for a reason sometimes. Uh, I watched Easy Money. Easy, with, you know, I never saw Easy Money. Oh, see now, yeah, I do the thing. I was like, oh, everyone's seen it, and now that you feel like a jerk if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I do that all the time. I don't know why, but Easy Money. It's with Rodney Dangerfield and Joe Pesci, and like a younger Joe Pesci. And the theme of the movie is that, uh, like, Pesci and uh, Rodney Dangerfield are friends, like grown-up friends. And they're kind of like they're kind of derelicts. Like there's like a couple montage scenes where they're just like gambling, drinking, smoking, but like being like funny and lovable at the same time. Nice. And yeah. And then what happens is he has Rodney Dangerfield has like an extremely wealthy like aunt who ooh, are we gonna do spoilers or what Yeah, I try to keep it spoiler free. Okay, we'll keep it spoiler free. So the aunt the aunt dies. And um, <laughs> the aunt dies, and uh, Rodney Danger. This is like right in the beginning, pretty much. So um, the aunt dies, mm-hmm. and she's like leaves everything to Rodney Dangerfield. And, but the under these uh, under the uh, I guess uh, to get the money, mm-hmm. he had to be like clean living for like a full year and like lose like a whole bunch of weight and stuff like that. Oh, so they just took this like, so it took, so like the whole premise of the movie, the major premise of the movie is that like Rodney Dangerfield can't do anything. And he's like hanging out with Pesci and like all these guys and Pesci's being Pesci, like the most classic guy ever. And it's yep. just, just classic De Niro, man. Or, uh, uh, uh not De Niro. Phew, man, what am I talking about? Dangerfield. <laughs> Classic Dangerfield. Just one, yeah. like it's just one liner after one liner. If you like his kind of like roasty one liner humor, mm. you will love this movie. I do. So, I like him a lot as uh, as like a character. He's a fun guy. Uh, yeah, he is. It is directed by the director of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which is cool. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I I didn't actually let's, I didn't look up who was directing it. <laughs> That was a good one. Good pick, Matt. Something I've not seen, I'll have to add to my list. 
Classic. <laughs> All right, Matt. So you, don't judge me when you hear the next movie I watched. Uh, from, dude, I, don't, I won't judge you on anything. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> from 1981, directed by Koyu Ohara, I watched I Love It From Behind. <laughs> I love what a great dude. How how what was the what was the uh what was the uh they were sitting there playing in the film movie and they're like someone throws that out there to like we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. That's yeah. Well, so this is a Nikatsu pink film. So Nikatsu was a studio back in the 60s, 70s, 80s in Japan that made this like I don't know, like sleazy erotic movies that are kind of goofy and funny and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're R rated, well, you know, maybe NC 17 rated, but they're, they're, um, really big budget, not big budget, but they're really high quality movies. And I always wanted to get into the studio to kind of see more of them. I watched one couple episodes ago that I was not a fan of this one though. I am a fan of, it's about a girl who's working very hard to get as many penis prints as possible, where she what? takes the penis of her lover, covers it in ink, and then like puts it on a piece of paper to get a print of it. <laughs> and she's trying to conjure them before her arranged marriage. And it's just about her escapades with her friends as she's trying to you know, get to number 100. She meets the guy of her dreams uh, and chooses him to be number 100. And it's just about like their... Uh, their goofy courtship trying to get this uh, this penis print. And it gets uh, really funny and weird. And it's only 65 minutes long. So, you know, I would recommend it if you want to watch a weirdo, you know, uh, sleazy Japanese movie. <laughs> I, have to, oh, I have to, you know, I'm going to have to go ahead and say it is. Uh, <laughs> who, who's the actress? <laughs> uh, the girl is played by Junko Asahina. I'm going to try to spell that without you spelling that. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so here, Let's see if I can even get close. <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm, sh- I'm looking at her on Letterboxd now. She's in a bunch of these pink films. Um, oh, and that's pink. the only one I've, I've seen. Yeah, that's kind of the terminology for it. Pink film, I guess. I don't know why they call it a pink film. I guess that meant something. In Japanese, I kind of it kind of makes sense. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you when you first said this: is like, was there any tentacles involved? <laughs> no, no, not that kind of movie. But there is some surreal stuff. Like, it's a it's a mind. It's not a big spoiler, but like, the guy that she wants to get the hundredth print from is mm-hmm. a master of sex and has trained himself. Oh and then she God. she has all these like images of him in her mind of like lifting weights with his penis and things like that. <laughs> And it's, it's goofy and it's funny. So, you know, uh, this is probably one of much lighter than the last one I watched, which was kind of grosser. But this one, uh, this one's I liked. I love it from behind. Hmm. All right. So now we can get really classy if we weren't classy before. <laughs> <laughs> Next movie I watched was uh, Great Expectations, uh, directed by David Lean from 40, 1946. Have you seen or read Great Expectations? I have not. So um, uh, Charles Dickens, it's about Orphan Pip, who discovers that a mysterious benefactor wants to ensure he becomes a gentleman. So it's this poor kid who finds uh, out that he's being given uh, an allowance of money to kind of live and work as a gentleman and learn to be you know, a noble person. 
And, you know, he's trying to figure out who this is and, you know, um, live his life uh, in this transitional phase, you know, growing up the son of a kind of living with a blacksmith and then and now he's a noble. And so um, it's really good in the first act because he got this really cool little kid. He's a uh, uh, Tony, Wa- Tony, Tony Wagger is the actor's name. And he's just like a, like a cool little kid. You want to root for him. He's so friendly. He's getting into shenanigans and all these bad things are happening to him. And you're just rooting for him. You want him to, you want things to go well for him. And, you know, it's filmed on like the foggy English moors, you know, so it's got a cool look Mm. to it. Mm -hmm. But but then it flashes forward six years uh, when he's supposed to be 19 and he's played by a 38 year old John Mills (laughs) who (laughs) looks older than 38. He's got the crinkles in the corners of his eyes and he just looks so old and he's, such an uninteresting actor in this movie that it killed it for me. (laughs) (laughs) But the movie's filled with a whole bunch of other character actors that are a lot of fun. The lawyer's great. The old lady's great. The, the uh, convict is great. There's just a lot of good characters like Dickensian characters. (laughs) You know, that'd be an interest. Sorry, I'm cutting you off, man, right in the middle of your your talk. No, you know, that'd be an interesting um, topic to, to discuss is, Movies that where the casting itself just complete or a casting of a specific character just like completely ruined the movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of people talk about a lot of people talk about like the, some of the Bond films when uh when like when Roger Moore got a little too old and he was playing like his love interest was like looked like she was 18 and he looked like 45, 50. Not like there's nothing wrong with it, but you know for that time period, it, it just, it gets a little weird for you like watching on TV, you know, I don't know, or on a movie. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. it's, so I agree. I don't, there's a, you know, it'd be interesting to see like how many movies is it that like a specific character, like killed the, killed the movie. <laughs> like casting of it killed the movie. And I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I, I think I talked to one recently on the podcast, uh, funny face with Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire or Audrey mm-hmm. Hepburn. Or a beautiful 22 year old and Fred Astaire is like, you know, a saggy necked 60 year old in the movie. And it just, when they kissed, yeah. I felt like, Oh, I felt gross. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That's how the, some of those older ones with, uh, with, uh, with Roger Moore were like, yeah. You know, I never watched any of the Roger Moore ones. Should I? <laughs> what? Yes, definitely. Roger, Roger Moore's in it's well, sh- come on. Sean Connery will forever be the best bond, but, um, uh, this we're we'll go down a, a rabbit hole here, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, the Roger Moore Bonds are are great. He just, he just towards the end he gets a little old, uh, but okay. you know. Well, I will definitely uh, check them out. Maybe I'll do another topic on them someday. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole. That should be a whole episode just Bond. <laughs> well, there's are a new you... one coming out, but I think yeah. Oh yeah, it's well, it's supposed to have been out. COVID and everything. But uh, yeah, I like Daniel Craig, so I'm, I'm definitely going to watch a new one. Yeah. All right. Speaking of new movies, Matt, I watched Nomadland from 2020. Ooh. Nomadland um, is getting a lot of press lately. It's winning a lot of, uh, getting nominated for a lot of awards, a lot of Oscars. It stars um, Frances McDormand as an older woman who is a widow. And you know the, the company she 
the big factory that she worked mm-hmm. for went out of business, basically destroying the whole entire town that thrived off of this factory. And she's trying to figure out what to do with her life. And she kind of gets rid of all her possessions and gets in a van and starts driving around to do this seasonal work. She works at like an Amazon warehouse during the season, the holiday season. Then she goes to, you know, like various other places that provide seasonal work. And she hooks up with a bunch of other van dwelling retirees or people on the fringes who just kind of live and um, this nomadic lifestyle. It's a beautiful movie. Like cinematography is great. The locations are great. But what's most interesting is that it's like half documentary. It's yeah. Um, yeah it's it stars like she's an actress and David Strathern is in it. He's an act- actor. But everybody else are, are real nomadic people that they just kind of wrote into the movie. Like she travels around. She makes she talks with them. She hears their stories. It's really interesting. Um, I am looking at it now. I guess part of it was shot in the Badlands. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, this this scenery is just great. You could yeah. just I would just watch the van driving and her walking through these <laughs> these beautiful areas like all day. Uh, it's directed by Chloe Zhao, by the way, who I've never seen a movie of before, but I really like this one. I'm gonna have to check out more of her stuff. Hmm. Wow, it has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that a thing? Do people look at that? Because I feel like they're yeah. very critical, and 94 is usually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is good. It gives a good general indicator of if people are liking it, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 94 is good for Rotten Tomatoes, and this deserves it. It had some great, powerful speeches and just powerful imagery, and uh, you know, left me with an interesting feeling throughout. Are you doing a padometer or something like that for films? Oh, you should be all the numbers from like, like you see, on a scale from like E to pi, like something where right. like no, weird, one right? knows, no one knows 2.71 to 3.14, yeah. like all the numbers between there is like your scale of how good of a movie it is. This one gives a sign of four, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's yeah. so funny. Yeah, it's only, you have to do. It's like yeah, it's only in uh, trigonometric functions are the only uh, are the only way you can describe films. Right, right. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, man. I'm going to talk about one short film, and then you can jump in with something. Okay. The trip back from 1970. The trip back is a documentary of a woman, uh, Florence Fisher, who's a motivational speaker who. Uh, was a drug addict for most of her life in and out of jail and lived these horrible experiences. And this is just like 25 minutes of her just screaming at a bunch of kids where she's at 11 the whole time, just telling all these horrible stories about how she grew up, how she was in prison, sleeping on feces covered floors and all her friends are dead. And, you know, I don't know anybody who smokes marijuana because they all died, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) I mean, that's not an exact quote, but it's like so over the top and she's so intense. It's it's almost hypnotic in a way. (laughs) Definitely check it out. It's on YouTube. The Trip Back. The Trip Back. Actually, did you ever watch Strangers with Candy? No. Uh, I have not watched it, but I've seen, you know, the character that, um, oh, God, what's her name? I can't remember her name. The actress who starred in the show, she created this uh, character based off of this short film, based off of 
this real life person, Florence Fisher. So now I want to go watch Strangers with Candy to kind of see how how she uh, interprets this into a comedy show. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, check it out. Trip back. Trip back. All right, Matt. What do you got for us? Oh, oh man, I'm ready for the next one here. We're going to stay with Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, great. Awesome. Yes, back to school. And <laughs> yeah, that, back to been... school. And look, you know, how many times has anyone been anywhere near a diving board and they have not made a triple Lindy reference? from my next dive they're going to install a third diving board yeah Um, (laughs) yeah so look if you have not seen back to school i'm calling you out right now and you need to see this immediately the whole premise of the movie is rodney dangerfield follows his nephew and goes and lives on a college campus and uh that is pretty much the shenanigans that happen from there Mm-hmm. Uh, it was funny. It actually came up with uh, one of my friends is hoping a family business, and he's like, "Dude, there's so much of this stuff I did not learn in business school." And it like reminds me of the scene in a movie when Rodney Dangerfield's well, Rodney Dangerfield's Dangerfield supposed to be like, you know, the Jersey, the Jersey uh, businessman, and mm-hmm. he's like, uh, you know, he's like, you're forgetting about like paying off the politicians and stuff like that, and greasing the garbage men. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to focus on legitimate business strategies in this in this business course. It's just you know classic Ronnie Dangerfield. So you know if you're looking for something funny, you never have to look too much further than Ronnie Dangerfield movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I like that one. Although I haven't seen it since I was like a teenager, so it's oh, good to know that you still enjoy it. Dude, still good. Yo, ages well. So awesome. there you go. Yep. Poor, poor William Zabka. That's all I have to say. <laughs> All right, I'm going, to, I'm going to rattle off three of them. This one uh, kind of fits into what you just talked about. From uh, 1994, Clifford, directed by Paul Flaherty. You ever see Clifford, Matt? I have not. It's Martin Short, Charles Grodin, Mary Steenburgen. It's the oddest story. The concept is just strange. It's about a troubled child who... Um, kind of like a problem kid who's always getting to antics and he has to through plot contrivances, he has to stay with his uncle for a week and his uncle doesn't know what to do with kids. And is in fact, in the middle of a big uh, business thing that is to deal with. And of course he has to deal with this kid's issues, kid trying to mess with him because the kid just wants to go to dinosaur world. And his uncle's like, I can't take you to dinosaur world today. I got work and blah, blah, blah. And he's, and Charles Grodin is the dad is the uncle. And he's trying to uh, prove to his fiance, Mary Steenburgen, that he loves kids because she wants kids. And he, and you know, he's trying to get her to marry him. Um, the weirdest thing is that the kid is played by Martin Short. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So Martin Short plays this 10 year old kid and you know, Martin Short, you can picture his face and like, she's just so animated in his face and so goofy and, how old is this movie that he's? Uh, what, I mean, you might have just said it, but no, nineteen ninety four. He is not a kid. He yeah, is, he's seventy now, he, and he plays a kid. He is like forty. Yeah, he's in his forties, and he's playing a kid. And the movie just was like, "Yep, this is what's happening." Just accept that Martin Short is a child, and they do some camera tricks to make him appear short, but it is just off the wall insanity. 
I mean, just the concept and the and the fact that Martin Short and Charles Grodin are at each other's throats the whole movie and doing so so seriously and with such intensity that it's it's incredible to watch. This movie got like a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, but I really think that it has found a cult audience at some point, like by this point, because people seem to love it. And I, for one, also loved it. Hmm. Yeah, it just, you know, it, it's really funny. It's so you know, weird to watch. And it goes to a really f- cool ending <laughs> that just uses a lot of budget to <laughs> film this crazy ending. <laughs> there, yeah. There's a lot of Mar- uh, Martin Short haters. I feel like he. I feel like I feel like that's like a thing where people go. Uh, I don't like Martin Short, and he's in um one. The one movie that I really know him from is a Christmas classic of the Santa Claus Three, where he plays like Jack Frost. <laughs> oh, <I never> <laughs> he's all right. He's, he's good. Have you ever seen Santa Claus Three? No, I've not. Oh, see, that's that'll be my shtick on this on this on this episode. I just like make people feel bad for not seeing. You haven't right. seen Santa Claus three? No, it's good. You know, it's <laughs> the Santa Claus one and two are kind of classics in my family. So you know, Santa Claus three just kind of fell right in line with the one and two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, I can see people not liking Martin Short. He's like a, an acquired taste. But man, and Clifford, it's just. Such a crazy idea. I mean, the movie starts in the year, in the future, in the year 2050, and then like goes back to our time. It's so weird. I, I can't underestimate how weird it is. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Where did you watch it at? Maybe I'll. It's on HBO, I believe. Ooh. HBO. I don't have HBO. It's on Hulu, too. Yeah, HBO and uh, HBO Max. That's where I watched it. Yeah, I recommend it, Matt. I think you'll appreciate it. Yo, you know who's in it is uh, Mary Steinbergen. Yes, yes, she is Mary Steinbergen. She oh, is the, okay. the fiance. <laughs> yeah, she's also the mom though in Step Brothers, which is so oh, she good. is yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Step Brothers is fun. <laughs> and Elf, and she's an Elf too. Oh, oh wow, she's, hmm. she's she's a good actress. Yes, very good actress. Oh, you know what I meant to say about uh, Easy Money. Uh, I meant to, I, meant to uh, I, I don't know. I want to. I want to kind of like. I guess I'm going to coin this phrase. Mm-hmm. There's this thing that I never realized that Pesci does that co- like becomes very obvious in this movie. There's a, every movie feels like that Pesci's in. There's a point in the movie where he like throws his body at somebody to like attack them. Like there, it's always like, <laughs> really? yeah. There's always like like like. Like he'll jump over a bar to attack someone and like grab their shirt and start punching, or like, or like, uh-huh. there's always like a Pesci. There's always like, so I want to call it like, like the Pesci leap. Like, there's always, <laughs> in, any movie, in any movie that Pesci's in, he's like, he's just like, there's always a point in the thing where he gets like angry really fast, or like he has to like prove he's tough. And he there's, there's like, he le- like, he throws his body at the other person. Like either wow. unexpected, like they get like the upper hand, but like unexpectedly. Right. So I want to coin it right here. It's called the Pesci Leap, everybody. When you see, so next time you see any any movie with him in, go back and watch Casino. He's in Casino, right? Yeah, he's in. Yeah, yep. You know, mm-hmm. main characters Casino. Uh, <laughs> you know, or uh, Goodfellas. There will be multiple Pesci leaps. So that, that's that's really intriguing. Um, I'm gonna 
Yeah, you heard your folk here first, folks. Hashtag the Pesci Leap. <laughs> yes, <laughs> dude, that's all. Okay, this is this is now a thing. It's gonna. It's oh, gonna, be a I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna live on the lookout for that. <laughs> yeah, the Pesci Leap. Yeah, I don't know. All right, so I just had. Yeah, I, I was meant when I was watching. I'm like, dude, that happens all the time in his movies. So mm. I'm. I was like, that's gonna be a thing that I'm gonna point out. All right, <laughs> here we are. All right. Um, so I'm gonna move on to another movie. It does not have Joe Pesci. Okay, I'm tired of saying his name too. I said it a thousand times. <laughs> from, from from 2019, also on Amazon Prime, directed by Tyler Kornak, Butt Boy. Have you seen Butt Boy, Matt? Yeah, with one T or two T's. Two T's. B U T T Boy. I have not. You have not seen Butt Boy? <laughs> How do you live? You, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you, Matt? Oh, oh I have not seen Butt Boy. <laughs> okay, so Butt Boy is with John Waters' favorite film of the year that year. And I always trust John Waters. He's uh, got good taste uh, or bad taste, but whatever you call it, it's interesting taste. Butt Boy is about a detective who is an alcoholic. Uh, he goes to AA. He has a sponsor, uh, this guy named Chip. Chip quickly becomes a suspect in the detective's investigation for a missing kid. And the detective starts to believe that Chip is sucking people up into his butt and making them disappear. <laughs> and That's, uh... yeah, the, <laughs> it sounds weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the movie plays it seriously. Like it, the movie's like, okay. This guy can suck people into his butt. Now we're going to tell a serious story about this. Like it uses the tropes of a detective story and kind of makes it pretty serious and dark. And like the detective speaks all gravelly, you know, he's smoking a cigarette constantly. He's got the greasy hair. And it's just like, man, if this was not a guy sucking things into his butt, this would be a pretty like, you know, well-made but generic detective story. But because it has this weird hook, it's becomes oddly transfixing in a way. Like, I can't believe I'm watching this. I can't believe this is happening. And they're just, yeah, that guy is sucking someone into his butt. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, they say that that is the uh, key to maybe success in fantasy or sci-fi movies is you make one logical leap that wouldn't make any sense is like the sci-fi part. And then you play everything seriously off of that is what I've heard is a good kind of method for making those movies. I don't know, but that seems like this, like, look, like to suspend your disbelief, uh, suspend, suspend <laughs> your belief, disbelief that a guy, uh-huh. disbelief that a guy can suck people into his butt and then after that, everything else is like, well, logically, this is this is what has yeah. to happen from there. You know, <laughs> that's, that's a great insight. Yeah, that's very true because yeah. I think the movie might have read that that tip and rolled with it because that's what it's like. And um, I have to say, you know, I, I wasn't sure how this movie was going to end, but the last act is incredible. It really um, does really interesting things with this concept and has a killer ending. So I highly recommend Butt Boy. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So Matt, I got 
one or two more. How about you? You got anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I, you know, I can always talk about an old film that everyone else has seen, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Then I'm going to touch on one more and then we'll save the other one for later. Ooh. Boss level from 2021. Boss level is directed by Joe Carnahan, starring Frank Grillo. It's a macho combo right there. And uh, Frank Grillo is a retired special forces guy who's trapped in a time loop a la Groundhog Day. And in this time loop, he's trying, everyone and their mother is trying to kill him. And there's like this weird kooky cast of characters just keep showing up and shooting him and stabbing him and trying to murder him. And every time he dies, he wakes up in the same day again. And so the movie opens when he's been through this like 40 times and he's like, all right, I got to try to figure out what's going on. Like, why is this happening? I don't know any of these people. Why are they trying to kill me? So then it kind of flashes back to the day before where you get a sense of like how the story was set up, how the time loop was set up. And then, you know, it flashes forward to see him trying to deal with the time loop and figuring more information out. And it's, you know, it takes that, that whole story we've seen a million times before with the time loop story, but does it in a really fun way with like a really big action set pieces and a great uh, charismatic lead. I like Frank Grillo. He's a cool actor. Um, yeah. And it just does everything right. It's just a fun, it's just a really fun movie. I would recommend it. Boss level. Boss level. Uh, you know, that's, it's funny that actually not funny that, I don't know, but uh, one of the, uh, I think part of Groundhog's Day that everyone kind of likes the most, or a lot of people like, is the part when he's trying to kill himself in funny ways, where he, yes. where he where he gets the groundhog and he like and he rides off the cliff into the quarry and like yeah. uh, the toaster <laughs> oven. So maybe, is that like some kind of thing with these repetitive movies, like these people who are stuck in like a loop, an everyday loop? Even like I guess like uh, I've never seen it, but there's like the movie like Happy Death Day where the one yes, uh-huh. yeah, that's one where you get to see her die every time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, did you did you talk about this in your time episode? The the movies that are like stuck in the same day, and you have to do something that like unlock the uh, unlock the day. We mentioned them, but we didn't touch on them. We figured that was a whole separate category than time. Yeah, time. yeah, it feels that's what it feels like. I listened. To, like, I might have. Missed the last five minutes of the episode. I didn't know if you talked about it then, but mm-hmm. that is a that's a great that's a great idea for movies. Is like there's so many ideas of getting stuck in the same day. Yeah, it's it's a cool concept. I think it's just you got to be careful that you don't just do the same thing that other movies do. I think boss level has enough charm to make it fun, which is good. All right, so um, I have one more movie, but I'm not going to talk about it yet. Let's save it for potentially later in the episode big mystery (laughs) um Mm. so i think it's time that we talk about our main topic matt matt okay what topic did you pick for the episode today the episode uh the topic that i picked for this episode was or is wes Anderson. All right. I know you normally do like, yes, you normally do like a a type of film Mm -hmm. or like a category of film, but I felt like Wes Anderson is his own thing. He's like a disjoint, like a 
disjoint thing of his movies are all like you can't put them in a category other than being Wes Anderson uh, films. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think that's a great way of of looking at it. I mean, yeah, he is a director, but his movies like you can watch if you watch like a hundred movies, you can easily pick out which ones were Wes Anderson without seeing any of the names, <laughs> you know? You could take like, well, yeah, you could take a screenshot almost of any movie yeah. that, that, that he does that he didn't say. Like it, well, it's actually, it's like, what was, uh, is it's almost become like an adjective now. It's like, is that Wes Anderson-y? Was that an adjective? Did I use yes. that right? Uh-huh. Okay. Foo. Close right, enough. I, <laughs> I mean, that's good <laughs> film bro talk right there, Matt. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm set, dude. Give me, give me like a, like a, like a stout beer in a, in a little hip pub. Yeah, right, you know, right. it was very, uh, it was very Wes Andersony night. TBR. Yeah. So, what was your introduction to Wes Anderson? Like, when, uh, how did you first hear of him, or what did you first see? My introduction to Wes Anderson was actually not a movie that I'm going to talk about today necessarily Mm -hmm. um, because I don't really remember it that well. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) one of the only DVDs we had in college, like in my one house, was was, uh, Darjeeling Unlimited. Oh, Darjeeling Limited, yep. Was it it Darjeeling uh, Limited? Darjeeling Unlimited, yeah. And it was just always on. It was like, oh, end of the night, let's put a movie on. Like uh, it's always on. And then I would fall asleep on the couch, and <laughs> like, and it would be in like the in the screen, the and like the uh, screen, the main screen for it would just be on like all night. Like uh, the menu screen would be on all night. But I I loved the movie, and uh, it was it was good. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was just weird. I don't I don't think I. Like I'm not so I picked it as a cat as a topic, but I don't I don't can't say I'm like a ravenous super fan. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like it's almost like, you know, I like the Grateful Dead, but I would mm-hmm. never call myself a deadhead because that comes with God. like like that comes with like a lifestyle and like being able to, like look, seven Red Rock seventy one was way better than Ithaca College sixty two. I'm like <laughs> go to that kind yeah. of <laughs> but I, I like uh, is, I'm a big fan, and so you're not you're not like an Anderson man or a no, Westhead he, or whatever. You know, West, right? yeah. <laughs> is that another thing that's coming out of this out of this episode? <laughs> Hashtag Westhead. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Anytime you wear uh, purple category, uh, purple corduroy, and like uh, and like maroon <laughs> pants, it's uh, right. It's a suit Wes that, that does not fit. <laughs> yeah, a suit that doesn't. <laughs> and a skinny guy, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've always been like a, a. I would say I was on and off a Westhead. I really liked him for a couple of years there, and then kind of cooled off a bit with some movies, and then got back into it with one specific movie that I liked a lot. But the first one I saw was Royal Tenenbaums when it came out in the theater, mm. and I was like hooked. I was like, "This is awesome! This is so different, and colorful, and fun, and interesting." There was a closet full of board games that I've never heard of before. Just that, like the <laughs> attention to detail in that movie, I was like, "Wow, this guy is really cool." And then um, I felt like that with pretty much all his movies until I saw the uh, Life Aquatic, which I kind of wasn't a huge fan. I thought it went on, you know, had great production design as usual, and it it fit the uh, the whole Jacques Cousteau sort of vibe and like 
that, that's, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, that 70s undersea explorer sort of thing. And then, um, you know, it just didn't, uh, I just felt overlong and I felt a little pompous. And I don't know, I kind of got Anderson out maybe around that time. But uh, I, before this topic came up, I had seen every movie of his except one. So Which this one? gave me a good chance to, to to jump into that. So you know what? Before, um, I'll just jump in right now. The movie I watched uh, for this podcast, one of them, was Bottle Rocket, his first film from 1996. Have you seen Bottle Rocket? I have not. It's his first movie, his first feature movie, starring Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson and a bunch of other side characters that you that may show up in his later films. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's it's um Luke Wilson plays this guy who voluntarily committed himself to an insane asylum and he's he's uh, out now and he's trying to, you know, get something going. So he hooks up with Owen Wilson, friend of his, who uh says that they should uh, do a robbery to prove themselves to this uh, gang leader that he knows. So they do like the funniest low stakes robbery I've ever seen where they're robbing a bookstore, <laughs> you know, in order to get some cash. And then they go on the lamb and they go on the road for a little bit while things cool down in quotes, because, you know, it was not a big deal at all, this robbery. And they uh staying at this hotel where Luke Wilson falls in love with a maid. And, uh, you know, it all, it's all kind of quirky and low stakes. There's no big moments of tension in this movie, but Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson are so charismatic. I mean, those guys were like meant to be in front of the camera, it seems. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that Wes Anderson at that time doesn't quite have his style, but he does have, does know how to make a movie. He knows how to place a camera, how to move a camera, how to keep the action going. And there are glimpses of him, there's some shots that I'm like, ah, that's a Wes Anderson shot. Like there's a shot of Owen Wilson climbing a ladder and mm-hmm. like the camera starts looking down at him. And then as he climbs up, it like pans up real fast. I'm like, oh, that's Wes Anderson. We know and love, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing things like that. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's colorful and it's fun and it's, it's, a, it's a good one. It's a solid movie, but it's not like, I didn't think it was great, but it's a great yeah. first. So, um, yeah, that was a good uh, a good kickoff to this topic for me to catch up with a movie I've not seen by him. Was so, his were the were the colors in that movie uh, Wes Anderson-y? Because he has he has like a color palette that he I feel like he yeah. uses through all his movies. Did had he found that yet? Or he did. There's definitely glimpses of it. I mean, it's not as uh, dramatic as his other movies, but you can tell he's playing with color and some fun things. Like they mm-hmm. they wear these jumpsuits. And they're like that yellow, that bright yellow color that you see a lot in his movies. Yeah, and that mustardy. Like, oh, yeah. He totally got those made for this movie because, you know. Uh, <laughs> but it's not, it's not all over the place. Like, I, you know, I, he didn't have the budget that he does in his later years where he can basically build entire worlds for himself to play in. You know, this was yeah. more of a low-budget affair. But, yeah, he definitely um, uses color even in that first movie. Hmm. What did you watch for this topic, Matt? Well, we can start with the f- first one. I watched two. Um, I watched the Grand Budapest Hotel. Nice. That's actually this, uh, another one I watched. Yeah. Um, uh, you can go ahead and talk about it. I'll tell you what I think yeah. afterwards. 
So um, it was on, it was free on IMDb with commercials. That is a great thing. I don't know if anyone else has that, but uh, that is a great deal where you just have to watch some commercials where you can watch whatever movie you want to watch. But okay, yeah, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, how to how to describe the movie? Um, <laughs> I'm interested to hear you summarize this one. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, it goes on. Um, I guess it's it's about uh this kind of old grand hotel <laughs> in a made up in a made up country of Zubroska. Mm-hmm. Is that Zubroska? And it's kind Something of like um. That. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the hotel's almost um, like Art Deco, kind of one of those like twenties hotel feels, where it's like everything's kind of very elegant and uh, mm-hmm. it's a bit Art Deco-y. And um, there is this kind of very flamboyant, awesome kind of hotel manager. Oh yeah, uh, Ray Fiennes. What? Yeah. What? Wait. What was his character name? I can. Uh, his character name is Gustav H. Yeah, and he is just just this super passionate about running this hotel. Amazingly, um, I don't know. He's just a very he's a very kind of lovable. Everyone likes him, kind of mm-hmm. type guy. And uh, some of the, uh, I guess, uh, uh. People who stay at the hotel, he likes to sleep with a lot of the older, wealthier people. I guess come to sleep with him, but you kind of mm-hmm. see it as he does it in like in like the name of the hotel a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> like he's very devoted to the hotel too. And yeah, then I got a sense that it was like it's definitely he was devoted to these people who and the hotel. It's almost like he liked the people that love the hotel, and the, and yes. the people that love the hotel loved it because of him. <laughs> so it's yes. like a weird. Wow, that circle. was yeah perfectly perfectly put yeah and then there's this bellhop who gets hired named zero and uh that and then so then from there uh one of the patriots uh patreon patriot patriot patrons patrons yeah one of the patrons that uh he's sleeping with uh dies after staying at the hotel and she leaves him this painting, a uh, boy with an apple, and <laughs> yeah, and then the, and then the family is furious about this for some reason. <laughs> and, it's so valuable, yeah, yeah, and, and, and they're all evil. Yep, yeah, and they're all <laughs> evil, and then they're trying to pretty much have him killed through the movie. Uh-huh. And uh, that's that's a good I don't summary. Know, I don't. Yeah, yeah that's the, that's my summary. I don't. It's, I I really kind of stuttered through that but can no, i mean there's so much to going it? on there's so much going on in that movie so like i won't yeah. add much more because i think the joy is you know watching it and discovering all these characters and how they interact um but there's so much detail in that movie so much like textural uh detail to the sets and the props and and the uh just the locations everything is so beautifully rendered and like thoroughly, thoroughly designed. <laughs> and that's what I love about it. It's just the attention to detail, even the script and like stuff that happens. There's such, so many cool little moments that, you know, in any other movie they would, they want to put in there because there's no point, you know, it doesn't like move the uh, plot along or anything, 
but it's yes. just so it's so fun to see. Like one example that I always love is Willem, Willem Dafoe plays this uh, you know cr- crazy cruel assassin hired by the family to uh, kind of hunt down uh, Gustav H and everybody, and he's threatening Jeff Goldblum's character, the lawyer, and he takes Jeff Goldblum's character, ca- Jeff Goldblum's cat, and throws it out the window, <laughs> and then. <laughs> We get a shot of the uh, cat on the ground as 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 Jeff Goldblum's looking at it from several stories up, and it's just like a splayed flat cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny the way it looks. I'm like, man, in any other movie, they would just not show that shot, or they wouldn't design it so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I really like the yeah, like the, the details, uh, like Mendel's, the kind oh, of yeah. fictional bakery that's in the. In the movie and they have these packages uh-huh. that these boxes that were all like throughout the whole movie they just kept on showing up in these uh, like in the when I don't want to give away the jail but but uh yeah. sort of jail and but like uh I listened to oh man I don't remember what talk about a podcast in a podcast I listened to another podcast where they had on the artist who did those Mendel's boxes and they said oh, they had oh. them all by hand and they, they were talking about like how much incredible amount of work went into those boxes. And it was, it was and, really interesting. And that was, yeah, that goes to show what Wes Anderson, you know, has a vision and he's like, we're going to, we're going to do this. You know, I don't care that you got to make a hundreds of boxes by hand. I yeah. want these pink boxes and, <laughs> you know, other, other filmmakers, you know, for better or worse, maybe, you know, his movies are do well. So he gets the money and the time to do them, but, you know, other filmmakers might not get the chance to get their vision put on screen the way they want, like he does, because he's kind of earned it over time. Yeah, I think one of the things I took away from this, like, there's so much that goes on in this movie, like, like, like there's so many little things, but you really kind of grow, or at least I did. I should stop talking about you and the you, but <laughs> <laughs> the Gustav, you really love Gustav. I really love Gustav by the end. Oh, like, he's such a, he's a very loving character, like, I, yeah. like. He he's a he's in one of those characters that you go man I really loved that character in that movie and yeah. I think that's one of the things one of the takeaways from this movie is his build of hit that character yeah and uh, that's a good um, kind of way to talk about Wes Anderson movies is by the characters in them because this movie in particular is filled with so many interesting characters I mean Zero and and Gustav H are so uh, likable but then mm-hmm. you know. You have all those crazy side characters. I mentioned Jeff Goldblum and Willem Dafoe. Those those are two great characters. Uh, you know, you have Adrian Brody chewing up the scenery as the as the <laughs> guy who 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 thinks you know the son of um of Tilda Swinton who plays a really old lady who dies. You know, it's just there's so many fun characters. Um, Harvey Keitel is the guy in in the uh, in the prison, and oh man. It just everything is so fully realized and so interesting. There's not there's not a boring moment in this movie. There's not a moment where they're like, you know what, this scene just needs to you know push the pot along a little bit. They're like, no, this scene, even though it only it's gonna have, it's only gonna take, you know, two minutes and it's gonna push the pot along. I don't care. We're gonna get Bill Murray. We're gonna get ten other actors that look great, and we're gonna have ten other sets. And we're going to, you know, we're going to yeah. make this little montage that's going to cost, you know, a million of dollars just to push the plot along a little bit. <laughs> With yeah. all these props 
I think I know what you know what scene I'm talking about. It's just like you don't need to do that, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, it's interesting. Uh, Bill Murray said that there's only one director that gets an automatic yes, no matter what. He calls his phone, and no matter what, it's an automatic yes. And he was saying Wes Anderson, like no matter what, no matter what he wants to do, Bill Murray is in. Like he goes, yeah. I don't care what you do, it's an automatic yes. Like not no like no like banter. Like I I don't want to do this or this. He's like whatever you want to do. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, yeah. I don't know how they developed that relationship from Rushmore on you know <laughs> yeah uh you know i don't does it uh one of the things that do is one of the things that people might love, like about wes anderson film is the recurring characters uh, yeah there's like a family of actors you know yeah, it's like a family of actors they're all in the same thing but then they're like played around with so like the familiarity of the actors so uh, i don't i don't know that i don't know yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like that's watching Grand Budapest. I really think Grand Budapest is his best movie. And, you know, it kind of is like full Anderson. You know, it's got all the people he's worked with before. And I'm just watching it and it's just moving so fast and it's so colorful and so fun. And then, you know, all these people keep showing up I'm like, oh my God, there's Bill Murray. Oh my God, there's Willem Dafoe. And, you know, you know just all these characters that keep showing up and like, oh, this is just great. <laughs> I, I rarely give movies five stars on Letterboxd, it's very mm-hmm. rare for me. But I gave Grand Budapest five stars. What? Yep, it's uh, it's so good. It is Avogadro's number. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> Avogadro's number is that the number of moles in uh, yeah, moles yeah, over a mole? Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nice. I remember every chemistry teacher in the world would like have a wooden box and be like, "There's Avogadro's number of air molecules or something in this box." And I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Are you talking yeah. about avocados? Because I don't care right now. <laughs> yeah, I would like that many avocados, please. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, one other thing I'd like to just quickly mention about Grand Budapest is the, the mm-hmm. structure of the story, the um, kind of how it, it starts off with the, someone visiting the gravesite of an author, and then we see the author tra- talking about his work, and then we see the author as a young young person experiencing this hotel that he wrote about. And then we get the flashback that the author is hearing, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm, Uh, it's mm -hmm. a story within story within story. And that doesn't need to happen. Like he could have just went right to the, you know, you could have cut out a couple levels of that, but each one is just an interesting, fully designed little world that a story is contained in. So it's just a lot of work, a lot of imagination. Hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that one up. I'm glad we both watched it. It's one of my favorites. Um, I watched. So which a, other one did you watch? I watched actually every other movie I have not seen by by him, which is uh, all the short films. So I'll just quickly go through the short films that he's made. Uh, I started with uh, Cousin Ben Troop Screening which is from Moonrise Kingdom, was a little short film about um, the kids, the scout troop from Moonrise Kingdom, actually watching the movie Moonrise Kingdom. (laughs) So you got, uh, (laughs) yeah, you got, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Jason Schwartzman, who's another Anderson regular. Uh, 
as the scout leader, you know, taking tickets for these kids to go into the, you know, to go watch the movie. And it's just fast. It's only three minutes. It's just fast and fun and very punchy, you know, nice little script. It's, you know, there's no point to it really. It was, I guess it was made as a promo for the movie itself, but you know, it's just like a fun little scene that could have been in the movie really. But it does show that Anderson still loves his colors. There's just, there's it's just yellow, so much yellow <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, and I, a lot of that. Uh, I like that color yellow. It's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a, a mustardy. Yeah, mustardy yellow. A lot of it. I don't know. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I watched another promo yeah. for uh, Moonrise Kingdom called "Do You Like to Read." And this one's five minutes long, and it's. Have you seen Moon, Moonrise Kingdom? Uh, no. So I won't go into. How do I live? Us. Yeah. Right. How have you not seen Moonrise Kingdom? You call yeah. yourself a film bro? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I won't go into too much detail. It's about a scout. Uh, these two um, uh, young kids, one's a scout, and uh, that kind of run away together to escape some things, and. Um, the girl in the movie has a case, a briefcase full of books, these old seventies or eighties, like children's books with the funky covers, like sci-fi and fantasy books kind. Mm-hmm. They, of course they don't exist in real life. They're all made for this movie. And do you like to read is a short film about some of those books being turned into animated movies. So you got Bob Balaban introducing a couple of like 30 second animated shorts of people imagining what these books would be like. Uh, you know, again, it's fine. I, I don't know. It's, it's made as a promo to the movie, so it doesn't feel like a movie itself, but it's more Wes Anderson. If you like that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but then I watched, um, Another one starring Jason Schwartzman, Castello Cavalcanti from 2013. This is a, actually a fully realized short film. Uh, and it's about, it's in Italy. Jason Schwartzman is a race car driver doing one of those like long races through the roads of Italy where, you know, they take like weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And he's driving through this tiny town and he has a crash. And then he has to, uh, you know, he kind of gives up on the race and hangs out in this tiny Italian town, which it turns out that's where his family was from eight, you know, generations ago. And it's just, you know, you get this fully developed, like fully built little Italian town that they built just for this movie with all the, the decorations and characters that you would expect in Anderson short. (laughs) And, you know, he just kind of hangs out with these people and, you know, says his, you know, Wes Anderson dialogue. And it's very sweet and very fun. And I liked it a lot. It's only a few minutes long, so that's all. This stuff is on YouTube. Is it? If you're yeah, if you're into like just wanted a fix of some Wes Anderson, I definitely recommend this one, Castello Cavalcanti. Wow. I'm not and then I watched. Uh, yeah, all of this. Uh, you know, follow me on Letterboxd, everybody. You can see it. <laughs> long one. <monkey. laughs> um, and I got. I watched one more short. The and this will complete my Wes Anderson movies until he makes another one um actually i watched two more shorts oh my god i'm so sorry prada colon candy it was directed by wes anderson and roman coppola and it was a more of a commercial for the prada perfume candy (laughs) 
And, uh, you know, it's got three beautiful people in it, including Leia Sudo, French actress. And it's about a love triangle in France, and it's done in three short segments. And the first one is pretty good and goofy and, like, kind of quirky. Definitely Wes Anderson-like. Second one, though, is really full-on Wes Anderson with dancing and colors and wonderful music and beautiful people being beautiful together. And it's just really, really great and magical. And the third one's nothing to write home about. So it's like a trio of shorts. Again, feels like a commercial, but if you want your Wes Anderson fix, check out Prada Candy. Mm. And finally, Matt, I got one more for you. I watched his first ever movie, 1993, short film called Bottle Rocket. This was a 13-minute short that he made on like Super 8 film to kind of get money to make his feature movie. Oh, like wait. So you're, not ta- you're, you're talking about Bottle Rocket already, I thought. Yeah, so this is the, the short film of the same story that was made before the feature movie. Oh, so really? So a, a year or two before, him, Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, made this 13-minute short film in order to like kind of show around to other people and get funding to make a full length movie out of it. So, you know, it's basically the same story of the first section of the feature film, almost shot for shot, like the dialogue's the same and everything just filmed on a much worse camera with much cheaper budget and a much younger people. (laughs) Uh, But it does show one thing. It shows that Wes Anderson knows how to, make a movie, you know, even before he made his first feature, did anything else. He knew how to make a fun little short film. It's nothing special, nothing to write home about, but you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to tell a story and that's the most important thing. Did he, how did he, how did he meet uh, the Wilson brothers? I feel feel like they knew each other before they were even famous. Yeah, they must've been, they must've known each other before they were famous. I don't know the history of how they met. They, I'm sure they were yeah. friends based on this uh, on this short. I'm sure they were friends, yeah. Yeah, it seems like it seems like they they've been together for so long. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So um all right, is there anything else you want to touch on on Wes Anderson? Uh you know, um I think that's it. I think that's uh I think that's pretty good. I might I think uh I think that's it. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, you only need to watch one Wes Anderson movie to kind of get what he's about. I recommend Grand Budapest is my favorite, you know, easily. I don't know if you feel the same or if you like Darjeeling. I I feel like if you're going to go for, you know, only one, I would go Mm -hmm. with the Grand Budapest Hotel. I try to say it like I'm from Hungary. Right. (laughs) Without without the T. But you can... (laughs) But I'm not even sure that that's how they say it in Hungary, and I'm just like not making that up right now. So, <laughs> oh boy, yeah. All right, well, uh, great topic. Thank you, Matt. You helped me yeah. finish my uh, Wes Anderson uh, uh, collection, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this was uh, this was good. All right, so before we uh, end the podcast, we always like to come up with an uncommon film recommendation for uh, people to watch, sort of based on. I like to make mine sort of based on what we uh, talked about. So I'm going to jump in with one uh, from 2009. Sam Mendez directed Away We Go. Away We Go feels 
kind of got some qualities of a Wes Anderson movie. It's got quirky characters. It's got a lot of cool actors and it's got a, you know, great music um, and a cool color palette. It's just really well made, but it's a story of a couple who uh, are going to be new parents and they're kind of just figuring out where they want to live their life, where they want to settle down. So they kind of go on a road trip to all the people they know to kind of be like, Hey, maybe we want to live in this city. And they hang out with the people that they know there. And uh, each one is like a colorful little uh, short film, some hilarious, some heartbreaking. Um, But overall it's got an arc that, you know, leads them to a really heartfelt ending. So uh, I really, really highly recommend away we go. Hmm. Quite the cast. I was just looking that up. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, you know, it's got uh, right off the bat, you got John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph as the couple, and then a lot of fun people show up. I won't ruin it too much, but uh, oh. uh, uh, yeah, I mean, just just watch it. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right, Matt, you got a recommendation for us? Yes, yes, and a movie that is like this is just my universal. Uh, universal recommendation to anybody. If anyone comes up to me and says, hey, Matt, got a movie for me to watch? And I say, matter of fact, I do. Um, (laughs) I always recommend the movie Legend of 1900. Oh, and surprise, that's a movie, the last movie I watched for this week. What I know, there's actually it's the legend. I want to say that right now. I always the the in front of it, but yes, the legend, the legend of directed by yes. Giuseppe Torre from 1998, yes. and uh, music done by Ennio Marcone, which oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I like, yeah, you have to, you know, I feel like that's as, as much as a movie that Ennio Marcone does the movie, uh, the sound for. You need to know that in advance before you're blown away by sound. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's this one about? So, what's this one about? So, it's um, there's a lot of it's it's like a it's like I'm is whimsical okay word to use here? Oh, yeah, I think that's accurate. yeah, whimsical. It's like a whimsical kind of fairy tale kind of story, and it's uh. It's about a guy who plays the piano on a cruise ship, but he's like, he was kind of left on the cruise ship for, um, for, uh, like a, someone left him there as a baby. And one of the people who works on the ship kind of adopts him. And, uh, it takes place, they find him in the year 1900. So that's like kind of how his name becomes that. Like 1900 is the piano player. Yep. And um, it's kind of he lives on the he lives on the ship and he becomes like the world's greatest piano player, but like no one's ever heard of him because uh, he's always on the ship. Yeah, and I don't really want to I don't really want to give much away on mm-hmm. this one because there's there you know I don't know it's not a really suspense movie, but um, what drew me to this movie initially is uh, I really like kind of ragtimey music. And especially oh, yeah. like 20s, 20s jazz. And there's a scene in this movie where he does kind of like a piano duel with, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, with, with uh, Jelly, Roll Jelly, Roll, Jelly Roll Morton himself. And uh, 
and it's just one of the one of the best movie scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. It's yeah. it's so good. And it, and yeah. Yeah, and then um there's also the part with the I always like the magic waltz part, and that's right in the beginning too. But uh mm. the music the music in this steals the show. Uh so but I don't know. I'm kind of was, a little all over scenes. the place right now. No, those are two scenes that I would I would have said were my favorites as well. Uh it's uh it's definitely whimsical and magical and you know, I've seen um, one other movie by Tonatore, uh, Cinema Paradiso, and that kind of has the same vibe. It's very, like, I don't know. I don't. I think he's not a great director all the time, but he has a way. Definitely has a way of like creating emotions and creating that feeling of nostalgia and just like some like yearning or something. It's a unique feeling. And I think both Cinema Paradiso and Legend of 1900 have that, like, I don't know, like a nostalgia for things gone by sort of feeling. They nail that early uh, 20th century uh, feel to it, uh-huh. which, I, which I really like. And one of the things that, uh, oh, Tim Roth is, Tim Roth is the main character. So oh, yeah, if yeah you, we should mention you know, that. <laughs> yeah, Tim, so, you know, uh, Mr. Pink? No, Mr. Pink is uh he's not Mr. Pink. Is he Mr. Is he Mr. Oh, I what, what, I what color Reservoir. he was? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. I forget what. No, because um, the guy from Boardwalk Empire is uh Mr. Pink because they're in a meeting. And they're like, oh, um, oh yeah, yeah, for yeah. But um, yeah, you know what's weird about this movie that I well, what I thought it was interesting about this movie is is that it's a movie that was written pretty much for an Italian audience in to be released in Italy, but it was done in English. Oh, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, like I think the official name of the movie is La Legenda de Piena Sus Ushin. Ushino. Oh. That is to please no one speak Italian. You, 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 you sounded perfectly fluent, Matt. Are you from Italy? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, the La Gente de Pianista Suciano. That's me giving yeah. into it. Sound bit. like a Brad no. in Inglorious Bastards, where he's Thank trying you. to do it. <laughs> a Riva Dirce. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, Riva Dirce. Uh. Uh, but yeah, this uh, is a good choice, Matt. Uh, Legend 1900. I'm glad I finally watched it. Um, it was. Yeah, it definitely got to me. I wanted to. I, I was just happy to sit there and like kind of like immerse myself in like a in a stately period piece, and and it paid off. I have to ask you. I have to question, ask you a question about the movie. I'm not going to be offended if you say it's because I always come at people like super positive about this, and I don't know whether they watch it or not. Whether like they're like, I don't want to give any criticism. Does it? Does it? Does it lag in the middle a little bit with the love story? But that's, that's oh, yeah. the criticism. Totally. That's the criticism that I've that I've gotten on it. They're like, dude, the middle just like, what <laughs> is going on with this? Yeah, no, I totally agree. There is some lagging, but uh, yeah, especially with the love story, which you know didn't quite work. And that's when I was saying, like, I don't think he's a great director all the time. I think he has he has issues, but even though he's inconsistent like everything kind of adds up to this really unique feeling, which I have not experienced besides the two movies I've seen from him that like, yeah, just that like sad nostalgia that is all like heartwarming at the same time. 
Yes. Yep. Did uh did uh did Candy watch it with you? No, Candy did not watch it with me. Um, unfortunately, Ooh, I, it's definitely not a Candy movie. someday I'll have Candy on this podcast. Candy is my fiance, soon to be uh, wife, and she is a. Uh, she will. Uh, she's shaking her head. She will never be on this podcast. Forget I ever mentioned her. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you can, well, I did this at the end here, so you can edit that out if you wanted to. That's the only. I, I left it till the very end to bring her up, just because. Uh, just because you can edit this out if you want to. No, but, no, uh, it's safe. <laughs> oh, that's, okay. We'll we'll do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, that is a good uh, spot to end. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Patrick, thank you very much for having me. So you can uh, you can find me on Letterboxd under Long Monkey. You can check out my fiction and other weird projects at proleary.com. Matt, is there anywhere that you want people to find you online? No, um, I hide. I hide from the world. Mystery, <laughs> this is, man. I'm a man of I'm a man of internet mystery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we got you out of your shell to join on the podcast. Thank today. you. Well, Thanks. you know, you could you could find me at uh, Long Monkey at Letterbox, leave Patrick a note and he will pass it on to me. There you go. I'll do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Matt. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>